Hallelujah. He truly does reign in majesty. I wanted to know, church family, if y'all could please stand with me so that we can read God's word together. We're going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. If you need a Bible, would you please raise your hand? We have some members who are coming down the aisle passing out Bibles. So if you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll make sure that we get a Bible to you. Uh, One in the back there. We're reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Starting at verse 10. Hear now God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. With persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or competent and equipped for every good work. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer again. Oh, Heavenly Father. Father, I pray this year strength would be displayed in my weakness. I pray that your power would be put on display. As I prayed earlier, Father, I pray that the spotlight would shine on Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you exalt your Son? Lord, I pray that your scriptures would do what your word says, that Your truth would sanctify. 
We know that your scriptures teach that. Your word sanctifies us in truth, and your word is truth. Oh God, as we hear your word, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you pull us out of sin? Would you fix our eyes upon Jesus? Would you help us to seek the things that are above? I pray that Christ would be infinitely more beautiful to us than anything in this world. Oh God, speak to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray for those who are here who don't know you. I pray that you would open their eyes to see Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would surrender all to you today. That they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ where true hope is found, where true life is found. Not only life in this present age, but eternal life forever. I pray for us who are believers, God, who, yet, who you have called to yourself, that you would shape and mold us more into the likeness of your Son and use the Word today to do that. Oh, we want to reflect Jesus more. God, I pray specifically that you would help us to love Jesus more this morning. So, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I'm just a servant. And as I open your word, Father, I pray that, that your word would land on the hearers. Help them to not be distracted by what they have to do after this or even things that they might have been thinking about before they came in here. But help them to have a single focus upon what you want to say to us this morning. I just don't pray that the hearers would be changed, but I pray that I would consistently be changed as I preach this word, God. So come now, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we just got finished a series, the five M's, and before I went any further, I wanted to ask... If somebody would be willing to volunteer, if you could raise your hand. And I wanted to ask, do you know all five M's? So, um, raise, okay, Langston. <laughs> Say it loud and clear, brother. Okay, out of order. <laughs> okay. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, brother. Wonderful. Amen. So, um, Pastor Thabiti just got fin finished leading us in a wonderful series through um, things that we are specifically focusing on that we have felt called to as a church. And we are praying that God would give us the grace to live these things out more and more. But this morning, we are diving back into 2 Timothy. And the last time we were in 2 Timothy, 
we saw how Paul was warning Timothy that difficult times are ahead. And not only was he warning Timothy that difficult times are ahead, but every single person that was presently living at that time and who would live after that would also experience difficult times as well. We are in difficult times right now. He warned Timothy that in the last days, people would have misplaced love. He warned Timothy that they would love themselves and that they would love money over God. Paul also pointed out that their religion would just be a show. He says that people will have the appearance of godliness, but that they will deny the power, the power that changes. And he also pointed out that there were going to be people who were going to be opposers of the truth. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And just for the sake of more context, how about we read it together? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And it reads, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who have crept into households and captured weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jimbris opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So we saw last time that there's difficult times ahead of us. And Paul was saying that then, and we could say that now, that there is difficult times ahead of us. And Paul was pointing out these people who were lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, who boasted in self. Um, he pointed out that these people were imposters. That they appeared to be religious, um, but they denied the power of God that truly changed. They were rejecting and denying the gospel. But now when we come to verse 10, we see a contrast. In verse 10, Paul says, You, however, talking to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, 
my patience, my love, my steadfastness. I love how Paul points out that Timothy not only followed his teaching, but he also followed his conduct. Because it shows that discipleship is more than just Bible reading with someone. It shows that discipleship includes modeling the very things that you teach. We see that the Apostle Paul, he he said um, to not only watch your doctrine, but to also watch your life. Because he says in doing so, you're not only going to save yourself, (laughs) but you're also going to save your hearers. So the very things that we preach and proclaim and teach, we also must be people that live those things out. But we can't live those things out in the power of our own strength and might. We need God's grace. But he says, you, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct. You followed the way that I lived my life. We see in passages all over scripture where Paul says, follow me or imitate me or imitate those who imitate me. And it's one thing for the apostle Paul to say, imitate him, right? But if we were just imitating him, that would be a problem. But we see that there's passages that go on to say, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. So when Timothy was following Paul, because Paul was so dedicated to following Jesus, Timothy was following Jesus. He was modeling after Paul what Paul was modeling after Christ. And may we look towards people, men and women, who are godly examples in teaching and conduct that we can model our lives after, brothers and sisters. It is so important. Every Timothy needs a Paul. We need to be people who are modeling ourselves after godly examples. So he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, and my aim of life. He was like, when you seen my life, you saw that I was aiming towards something. If you remember, Paul says in places like Philippians that he just wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul wasn't living to please self. He was living to please God. He was constantly living to glorify God. He was constantly living, aimed towards a a destination, which was finishing his race and being faithful and being faithful, proclaiming Jesus and not only proclaiming Jesus, but he wanted to know Jesus. And out of his communion with Jesus, he just wanted to make Jesus known. So he said, you've seen my aim of life. You saw that it wasn't self-centered or just focused on me. You saw that it won't be on me. You saw that I strive to love people so much so that it hurt at times. And he's like, you've seen my aim of life. And you followed that, Timothy. You followed my aim of life. I just want to ask this morning, what is our aim in life? Some of us may have aims to do so many different things that are good things, but it's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate aim that every single person in here ought to have is to pursue Jesus, to love Jesus. 
to abide in Jesus, to abide in his love. That ought to be our aim in life, to know him. And he's made that possible. As John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life that we may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, his son of whom he has sent. That's eternal life. Let's pursue that aim more and more, brothers and sisters. So Paul followed his aim of life. He followed his faith. This was a man who had faith. Paul had faith. I mean, why would you be stoned in one place and then get right back up and go into that same city you were stoned in unless you really believed in this Savior that you were preaching? This man had faith, and he was faithful. And he says, Timothy, you have followed my faith in my patience. Patience. Now, if there was one characteristic um, or one trait that stood out in these list of things that I want to continue to grow in. Well, really, I want to grow in all of them. But one that I want to grow in more than all of them in this season in my life is patience. I want to grow in patience. And we see all throughout Scripture where the Bible um, calls us to be patient. I mean, think of texts where it says how the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Or think of other passages where it says um, that we are to exhort the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So we don't, we don't um, exhort or rebuke the, the faint-hearted. No, we encourage the faint-hearted. And we don't encourage the idol. We exhort and rebuke the idol. But he goes on to say, help the weak and with all of them, be patient with them all. We ought to live out lives marked by patience because it reflects our Savior who was the most patient person that ever walked this earth. I mean, even think of his patience in regard to us. Not just in regard to us now, but in regard to us when we were in Christ. Patient, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This patience is something that the Holy Spirit works inside of us as believers. We see um, these, these traits, patience, love, steadfastness, in Galatians 5, that this is a work of the fruit of the Spirit that he works inside of us as his children. Oh, may God help us to grow in these things more and more for his glory. He says, you followed my love. You saw the way that I loved God. You saw the way that I loved people. You saw um, in, in Corinth the way that I was patient and loved on them. You saw my love and you saw my steadfastness. You saw when I was in circumstances that were really, really hard, I continued to endure. And you followed that. Praise God for examples of people who are in really hard situations but continue to be steadfast, continue to endure. 
We must look to those examples and draw encouragement and follow those examples. And by God's grace, may he pour out grace upon us to be those examples ourselves. So, Paul modeled discipleship. He didn't just teach it, he modeled it with his life. In verse 11, he says that not only did you follow my conduct, my aim of life, my teaching, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, but you also followed my persecutions and sufferings. I mean, wow. When we talk about discipleship, he followed even his persecutions and sufferings. Timothy had to be in close proximity with Paul in order to see these things and also to model these things. It makes me wonder, as I was studying the text, if when Paul was being persecuted, if these, this was one of the things that God used as a means of grace to draw Timothy to himself. He says, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. Lystra was where Timothy lived. Not only was Lystra where Timothy lived, but Lystra was where Timothy's family lived. So it's very clear that um, when Paul was being persecuted for the gospel's sake, when he was suffering, Timothy was seeing and observing those things. It makes me think of when, um, when Paul was holding the coats of people and they were stoning Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, Paul was witnessing those things, holding the coats of people as they killed Stephen. And Stephen is just saying, man, forgive him. Man, forgive him. And Paul's witnessing his faith. He's witnessing him being persecuted and even witnessing him dying. And I could only imagine how that messed with Paul. Just thinking, why would he stand up for Christ like that? Why would Stephen do something like that? Who is this God that he believes in? Who is this God that, that he's willing to suffer for and go through persecution for and even die for? And I could only imagine how that just plagued his mind until eventually he encountered Christ and was transformed by Christ. And then he went on to be one who was now persecuted himself to where in places like Lystra, he was being persecuted for preaching the gospel. I think Timothy saw those things and he was probably saying, man, Who's this dude that just continues to be persecuted for Jesus? He must really believe this thing. This thing must really be true. What an example. What an example. And it makes us ask the question, am I willing to be persecuted like that for the sake of the gospel? May we be willing, brothers and sisters, because Jesus is worth it. Because we'll see later on that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. No if, no ands, no buts. But I love what he goes on to say. He said, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. (laughs) 
Yet from them all, the Lord, he rescued me. He rescued me. Now, this is a direct quote from Psalm 34, 19, where it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So the Lord may have not delivered Paul out of every single affliction or everything that he suffered, but he ultimately really did deliver him when he brought him to glory. And in the same exact way, he may not deliver us, brothers and sisters, out of every single affliction, out of all the things that we suffer, but there is coming a day where he will deliver us from absolutely everything in this world. Sin won't touch us again. Persecution won't touch us again. None of those things will touch us again. So whether he delivers us temporary from affliction or forever from affliction, he is a Lord who will do so. And he is faithful to his word. No if, no ands, no buts. And we see as we go on, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's the question. You don't have to answer it. Do you desire to live a godly life? And since we're here this morning, I would absolutely assume that the answer would be yes. At least for most of us. Do you desire to live a godly life? But it says, for those who desire to live a godly life, in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Persecution will come for those who desire to live a godly life in Jesus. Now, if there's times when you're not being persecuted, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being unfaithful. But if you never face persecution in your life for the sake of the gospel, then you must ask whether or not I truly am being faithful and being sought and light and witnessing about my faith. Verse 13 says, While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse. While, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. These people aren't just deceiving people, Paul's pointing out, but they're being deceived. These individuals that are deceiving individuals, they're being deceived themselves. We know people now that are preaching a false gospel. We know people now that are leading people astray. We run into them at um, work. We run into them on the streets. We run into them next door because some of them are our next door neighbors. We know people who are preaching a false gospel or teaching a false gospel. But the Bible says that as they're deceiving people, they're deceived, they're deceived themselves. So as the people of God, we don't ever want to look down on anyone who's teaching a false gospel. If anything, we want to plead that God would have mercy on their soul. These individuals are deceived. 
These individuals are blinded, as the Bible says, blinded. The enemy has blinded their eyes to keep them from seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. We ought to pray that God would have mercy on false teachers, on imposters. We ought to pray that God would move his mercy swiftly upon them so that his destruction doesn't come swiftly upon them. Oh, may God give us hearts to pray for those who have not experienced the same grace that we've had the privilege to experience. That's been freely offered to us by his grace and by his mercy alone. In verse 15, he says, you, Timothy. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. In verse 14, he says, but as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So in the first couple of verses, we saw what Timothy learned from Paul, but now we're going to see what Timothy learned as a child. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed from from whom you learned it, verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this because it points out that Timothy was influenced in his childhood. And if we look at places like 2 Timothy 1.5, it reads, And I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul's talking to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am now sure dwells in you as well. I love that the Bible takes the time to point out these two women. These two women that were influential in Timothy's upbringing. These two women that consistently poured scripture into Timothy. We live in a society now where a lot of times people look down on mothers who spend too much time caring for their children or spending time with their children. But here is a faithful mother who day by day poured into her son the scriptures and not only that, we don't even hear grandmas mentioned too much nowadays. But here's a grandmother who poured into her grandchild faithfully and consistently. Oh, this is a model for us brothers and sisters that as brothers in Christ, we ought to encourage this. And as sisters in Christ, do this more and more. Mothers, as you pour into your children, you never know what the type of effect that's going to have in the future. Grandmothers, as you pour into your grandchildren, be expected knowing that God's going to do a mighty work in their lives because they might just be the next Timothy. So be faithful. Be faithful. Notice how he says, that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is pointing to the Old Testament. 
And I love this because it goes on to say, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It shows that there is enough gospel in the Old Testament to save you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Why? This is the reason why. Because the Old Testament constantly points out God's holiness. We see all the sacrifices as well that had to be made for those who had sinned. But we also see the Old Testament in places like Isaiah 53 pointing to a lamb who would be slaughtered. That lamb being Jesus Christ who the Bible says is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we know that the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus said himself in John 5, 39, the scriptures bear witness of me. Luke 24, 27 reads this. Jesus said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And John says, this is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, his son of whom he has sent. All the scriptures from the Old Testament point to Jesus. They're pointing to him, pointing to him, to the long-awaited Messiah that they were looking for who arrived, who walked this earth and was tempted in every way like you and I, but was blameless, who was crucified on our behalf. This is the message that we preach and proclaim, and it's foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I just want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I just want to read it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Some people would say, do you really believe that? Yes, we do. We do. The gospel is foolishness to a lot of people. But it is the power of God to those who are being saved, transformed. We know because we've experienced this power. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. No if, no ands, no buts. And Paul saying to Timothy, remember the sacred scriptures. I remember someone saying um, not too long ago, You know, we don't need to have smoke screens and so many other things that draw people in for them to be saved. We just need to preach the word. We need to preach Christ and him crucified. It's always been used as the means to transform and change people. And it always will. It always will change and transform people. It's transformed our lives and it'll transform so many other people's lives. But we must be faithful to preaching it and proclaiming it. If we just read this word to some people, God by his Holy Spirit will be pleased to regenerate their hearts. 
We must be faithful in reading this word, preaching this word, teaching this word. Christina, discipling people with this word open because God's going to do his work. Hallelujah. But know this, it's not necessarily the scriptures itself that save, but it's God who saves. And he does it through his son who he reveals from the scriptures. We're saved by a person, we're saved by Jesus. So let's exalt him. Lastly, we see what we can learn from the scriptures. 16 says, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, meaning useful, for teaching, for reproof, meaning rebuking, for correction, and training in righteousness. Now, we could just easily skip over that, but it says all scripture, not some scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God. We must teach all of Scripture. As Christians, we have to have a balanced diet. We must teach on God's grace and mercy, but we must also teach on hell and judgment. We must hold out the love of God to sinners, but we must also teach them and warn them of the wrath of God to come. And that they will have that wrath poured out upon them if they don't repent of their sin and find their refuge in Jesus. We must teach all of the scriptures. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. This verse reveals that God's scripture is powerful, authoritative, And it's sufficient. It is sufficient. I mean, just think for a minute. Let's not skip over breathed out by God. God spoke all things into being. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. God spoke to storms and they ceased. He speaks to demons and he spoke to demons and they came out. He raised the dead with just a few words. (laughs) We're talking about power here. Matchless power and authority. Infinite power and authority. So when we read, all scripture is breathed out by God, we have the very words of God in front of us. We could just casually read over verses like that and forget that the very words of God, we can hear God's voice by reading the Bible. All scripture is breathed out, inspired by God, the creator of heaven and earth, God, the creator of the universe, God, the creator of all things. He speaks to us. He speaks to me. speaks to you and he does it through his word we have to grab the allness of what that means 
Our hearts are so prone to lose the allness of what this says. But it says all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness. In our Timothy group and in our Titus group, we're reading um, some amazing books. Uh, one of the books that we're reading is a book on Christian doctrine by Wayne Grudem, which is an amazing book. But God didn't breathe on that book. <laughs> we're reading The Imperfect Pastor, which is an amazing book. And God has been using that book in my life. But God didn't breathe on that book. <laughs> John Frame has an amazing systematic theology. And I would recommend that you read that. But it is not inspired by God. Pilgrim's Progress is a fantastic book, but it's not inspired by God. Killing Sin by John Owen is a really good book, and I would encourage you to read that, but it's not inspired by God. There's only one book on this planet that is inspired by God, and it's this one. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't read other books. God has given us teachers. He's given us people um, who has been gifted to teach the scriptures, and they write books. So I'm not saying do away with books, but this is what I am saying. If we ever get to the point when we're reading books, more books about, um, that teach about the Bible to where we neglect the Bible itself, then something's wrong. And we need to repent of that and get back into the God-breathed book. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we ought to treasure his word, cherish his word, memorize his word, hide his word in our hearts so that we don't sin against God. How can a man or woman keep his way pure by guarding it according to his word, this God-breathed book? Oh, may God pour out more grace upon us, brothers and sisters, to not lose the allness that's in here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's useful for teaching, for reproof. Sometimes when we read this book or hear this book preach, it reproves us, rebukes us. We feel conviction. The Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction in our lives and, and shows us areas that we need to repent. This book, God does that by his spirit in our lives. He reproves us. He rebukes us. He corrects us. We have desires, all of us, to stray. It's just in us, in our nature, to stray. But his word comes and it corrects us. It brings us back. It draws us back. When we was going one way that was contrary to God's will, we hear the word of God and he pulls us back. He corrects us. This word corrects us. And it trains us in righteousness. Praise God that he doesn't leave us on our own, but he's spoken to us to train us in righteousness. Thank you, Jesus.
verse 17. That the man of God may be competent and equipped. Or that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I love how it goes from focusing on us knowing the scriptures to then us living out the scriptures. That the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. (laughs) It reminds me of Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this word comes to equip us so that we could not only study it and know it so that we can know God, but so that we can do something with our lives, so that we could do good works. We see all over the Bible where the Lord calls and commands us to do things, and it's always for his glory, always for his namesake, always for the good of his people, and God's word equips us to do that. So in closing, brothers and sisters, we see that Timothy learned from a child things from his grandmom, things from his mom. He was acquainted with the sacred scriptures. He learned from the apostle Paul. And we are called as believers to learn not only from their examples, but from the God-breathed word itself. In order for us to do that, we have to read the word, meditate on the word, come expecting to hear from God when we come to service, small groups, Bible studies, so that we could be equipped to do the works that he has called us to. And we don't do this to please him. We do this because we love him and we've been transformed by him. We don't do good works in order to be saved. We strive to do good works because we are saved, brothers and sisters. So let's pray that God would give us more all for his word. More of a reverence for his God-breathed word. And more of a desire and a hunger to know him through it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word says that all scripture is breathed out by you, inspired by you. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent or complete and equipped for every good work. Lord, would you pour out grace upon my life and the other pastors here to equip the body in these good works? Would you pour out your grace upon small group leaders and other leaders in this church to take your word and equip the body for good works? Would you pour out grace upon all of us 
to be people who are able to equip others for good works using your word. Because it's not based upon our ability, but it's based upon your ability ultimately to work in the lives of your people. May we just open your word, read your word, swim in your word, proclaim your word. Oh God, give us more of a hunger for your word because ultimately we have more of a hunger for Jesus. Please help us to be in awe once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.